Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Michelle Graff about cultivating human resiliency in the compassion-fatigued organization. Michelle Graff, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining me. I'm super excited to have a nice conversation with you today. We're going to be focusing on cultivating resilience among our team and juxtaposing that with this idea of the compassion fatigued organization, which is the title of your recent book. I'm, I'm super excited to explore that with you. As we get started, I wanted to share Michelle's bio with everybody. Michelle Graff is the founder of Cultivating Human Resiliency and the author of Compassion Fatigued Organization. After more than 20 years in social service, she now focuses on helping the helping professional. As a resiliency cultivator, she provides training and consultation to both public and private human service agencies. Over the past 22 years, Michelle has developed and presented hundreds of trainings on everything from trauma and the brain to interpersonal and leadership skills. Her experience working with human service professionals and organizations has provided an insider's perspective on the impact of secondary trauma. Compassion fatigue has become her most requested topic. Uh, I'm super excited to explore that with you. Thanks for joining me. And uh, before we really launch on into the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of background or personal context? No, I think other than just to say um, in my, since I started out actually as a service provider working in a social service organization, um, we had a lot of focus on understanding trauma and how it affects people for the purpose of better serving our clientele. And one of the things I noticed was that all of the things we were learning applied to ourselves as providers and that we are not that different. All human beings, you know, when we, we talk about being trauma-informed, it's not about just understanding the traumatized. It's about understanding all of us in our brain's responses to different stressors or threats. And the so the information we learned is applicable to everybody. I also realized that it's all about connection and human interaction. And to be a to provide those compassionate connections to people, which is really where healing begins. We need to ourselves um, be compassionate and understand how how our experiences impact our interpersonal responses. So that's that's what sort of inspired me to change my focus to the the helping provider. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's great, and I appreciate you know that additional context about how you kind of switched your your focus as you've gone throughout your career. 
So let's talk, let's start by talking about the Compassion Fatigued Organization. That's the title of your book. Um, what was the inspiration behind that book? And, and tell us a little bit about what you mean by the Compassion Fatigued Organization. Sure. Um, well, as in my, my job as a resiliency cultivator, I provide a lot of trainings on a variety of topics. Um, and two helping organizations are my primary con um, clients or customers. And I noticed that I was getting a lot of requests for compassion fatigue as a topic. And this was pre-pandemic. Um, it just seemed to be something everybody was interested in. And it's not a new topic. The concepts of compassion fatigue have been around for a while. But as I started presenting the topics, I was also delving more into what does this really mean? How do we really combat it? And it's not just about the individual, it's also about the organization. Because when we talk about interpersonal relationships, that, that applies to our organizations as well as individuals. And it's, it's all about, you know, I, I do a lot of work with, with understanding the brain and the brain is just sort of a, a model of our interpersonal relationships, the way the brain functions. And that is also sort of a, a model for our organizations. So as I, as I was delving deeper into the topic, recognizing that there was a great need out there, that sort of guided my decision to make that the topic of my book, uh, just because I thought there was a need. And this was, you know, I started writing pre-pandemic. And then, of course, this last year or year and a half has really uh, emphasized the need for, for caregivers or people in the helping profession to really be able to look at how do they, how do we take care of them and how do they take care of themselves? Not just take care of themselves, but how do we take care of each other? Yeah, yeah. And, and so this idea of compassion fatigue, um, you know, as I think about this, the, this past year, um, you know, we've really needed people to show more empathy, to show more compassion. We need leaders to listen to their people, to understand the challenges they're facing. And that does wear on you over time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and leaders bear a heavy burden. Um, and one thing that I've talked to many executives about in coaching and in various conversations this past year is how they're expected to carry that load for their people, but who's carrying that load for them? Who's, right. who's showing them that compassion? Who's who's um, listening to their struggles. They're, they're having all the same issues that the rest of us are having, right? Um, and it does wear on you over time as you're trying to you know, support, you know, say I have a family, I have kids at home and they're doing online school and, and you and your spouse are, are working remotely and you have a remote team and you're trying to help them and they're all struggling. I mean, man, that's a, it's a heavy burden. It's a, it's a hard thing to deal with and, and burnout is, inevitable at some point mm -hmm. if you don't practice um, self-care and make sure that you're taking care of your own needs. Absolutely. And, and I think it's also about understanding what's actually going on when we experience compassion fatigue. You are right in pointing out that it's not just the traditional helping professional. This is something that impacts a lot of us. And I think leaders are a, a unique group in that way because compassionate leaders, which we hope you know we have compassionate leaders, 
they're going to be exposed to uh, the all of the the trauma if they're empathetic, all, everything that their their staff and their workforce is going through. And when we talk about compassion fatigue, it's that experience that feels like you're out of compassion. You know, you're just completely, you're depleted. And one of the things that I try to stress in the book is that compassion is a renewable resource. We're really not out of compassion. What's happening is our brain is recognizing that the compassionate work we do um, makes us vulnerable. And so it's shutting it down. It's a protective response um, to start numbing those feelings of compassion because our brain is detecting that as a threat. And so the answer to doing that or to combating it is actually not to be less compassionate, not to pull away as our instincts might tell us to do, but actually reset, set some boundaries and keep compassion um, going in our lives. And so that's where my book, I try to offer some practical ways of doing that. And one of the ways, you know, I always start with, I always say, start with yourself in your own understanding and self-awareness. So I use an analogy to describe compassion fatigue as the circuit breaker in our house. And Jonathan, I'm sure you've experienced as your listeners have times where you've accidentally tripped that breaker. Um, and if you didn't understand the workings of a house and you're trying to make dinner and you have all these appliances going and all of a sudden the power shuts off, your first response might be to think that you're now depleted of power, um, that the powers run out somehow. But of course, we know that's not what is going on at all. You've just tripped a circuit breaker and that's a safety feature in your house. Uh, it means the lines are, the wires are, you know, overloaded somewhat and it, the breaker trips so that you can be safe. And what you need to do is unplug a few things and go reset that breaker and get that power back going. And so that's a great analogy, I think, to help people understand what's going on with their stress response or their threat response in their brain when they're experiencing compassion fatigue. You don't want to, you're not out of compassion. In fact, compassion is the antidote, but you also need to reset. Um, so we talk a lot about self-regulation and learning some ways to, to regulate, sort of restore that sense of safety, and then be able to continue to practice compassionate connections and compassionate inter, interactions in the context of some skill sets that help us to do that safely. Yeah, and you mentioned boundaries, and I think that is really important, and particularly in social work, for example, so many social workers burn out um, because that it just it wears at you right and so unless you're able to reset unless you're able to compartmentalize and set up boundaries it's inevitable at some point and i think it that's true for a compassionate leader mm -hmm. a, a, a really concerned parent you know like we have to be able to to set up those boundaries so what are some of the specific things you suggest um to readers in your book or, or people you work with in organizations on how to set up those those healthy boundaries 
Well, well, boundaries in themselves is a, it's a very complex um, because we have boundaries in so many different things. We have uh, information boundaries, emotional boundaries. It's not just the physical boundaries. So we always start by identifying or recognizing what those boundaries are and what we need. And our boundaries are very personal. What I need to feel safe and to function uh, properly might be different than, Jonathan, what you need. In, in a relationship and boundaries vary from relationship to relationship. So we talk about, I, I first have them identify the different relationship um, areas, you know, not necessarily specific people, but you know, you have different relationships for your coworkers perhaps, or your, your family or your customers and to identify those different relationship types and then what do you need <clears throat> from that relationship in terms of what do you need to function effectively, but also safely? Um, so what, what are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? What are you willing to share? What, what are you not willing to share? And kind of outline that. And then also recognizing that boundaries are two ways. It's not just about us um, not allowing our boundaries to be crossed, we need to be careful about crossing boundaries of other people because we can't just assume everybody has the same boundaries as, as I do or you do. So really just starting with that self-awareness and, and really being able to clearly identify. I always say healthy boundaries, it's not about loose or tight. You know, sometimes we associate uh, loose boundaries with being bad boundaries or tight. And that that's not the case at all. We, it doesn't matter where we are on that continuum, as long as it keeps us safe. Um, what matters is that we can affectionately function in relationships, that we can be safe, and that we that they are clearly identified. So that means really, really getting down to understanding what my boundaries are so I can communicate them clearly to other people. Most people in this world struggle with this. Um, we're all on a continuum, a continuum of hurt and healing. And sometimes if we're on the hurt end of that continuum, our boundaries might look messy. They're not clearly defined. And so when we bump up against someone like that, we're going to get a interpersonal response that's going to be a protective response. And then that might trigger us and our responses then might be another protective response. And the better we can have established the boundaries, the more easily, not only can we communicate them, but we can recognize when we're doing one of those protective responses in our relationships. And we can stop and say, oh, wait a minute, did I just have my boundary crossed? Or did I just cross somebody else's boundary and how I responded to that? So it's that's sort of a complicated response um, to a complicated question, but it really starts with that self-awareness. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. 
Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, well, I love that response. And and, and we don't need to pretend like something is, is more simple than it is. Uh, <laughs> that just causes more problems. Uh, but I think that's really helpful. And and we need to just, we need to be thoughtful about our boundaries. Um, we need to take the time to really consider them and consider the different types of relationships we have and find, you know, everyone's different in how their energy works and how they become depleted uh, as they go throughout their day, right? And so what works for me and like what boundaries I need, you know, probably are going to be a little bit different than you or, you know, 10 other people that I meet walking down the street. And so, and that's totally fine. So we just need to learn about ourselves. We need to learn about how our energy flow works, um, the challenges that we may face when we're going about our day. And then we can over time, you know, uh, experiment, investigate and, and try things out and, and see how it, it pans out for us. Yeah. You know, relationships are hard. Any inter any interpersonal um, relationship, whether it be professional or personal, they're challenging. Um, you know, all of us, and you, you can get better at it, but there's no easy formula. We're human beings. We're going to be triggered at times. We're going to respond in a way that we recognize as, oh, that wasn't helpful at all. And, you know, the best we can do is repair and grow and learn from it and, and continue on uh, with our relationships. But it's an ongoing uh, skill set that we're all we're all learning and so it has to come with some humility and also the ability to to forgive or just recognize the humility in in other people or the humanity in yeah. others yeah that, that's a great reminder so so let's talk now a little bit more about resilience we're facing compassion fatigue um we're all we all have our traumas we all have our pain points and the challenges we face as you mentioned, so so what do we do about it? Like, how do we respond to it? Uh, and I, I love the word resilience because mm -hmm. uh, I think there's so much embedded there about how we can approach, you know, really our worldview, how we approach um, our interactions with others um, as we go about our day. So, what are some of the things you you share with with clients as you're talking about how to foster more of a resilience mindset mm -hmm. uh, to respond to those challenges we face? Well, I, I like to look, I talk a lot about mindsets, um, but I not just mindsets. That's sort of our cognitive response, but also understanding our emotions and being able to uh, recognize them and also our body responses, as well as our interpersonal relationship responses. Those four things are really important. And when I talk about resiliency, I talk about uh, 
that area between fight and flight and freeze, you know, because we can be triggered in two different responses, that response of mobilization, that response of freeze or immobilization. And in between that is healthy regulation. Now, that doesn't mean that all when we're responding in mobilization, it's all fight and flight. There's a you can you can be mobilized um, in a way that we respond that isn't necessarily triggering a protective response. For example, you know the we don't want to be at rest all the time. A, a little bit of stress in our life is good. It, it motivates us to get things done, to to accomplish things, and also even emotionally, um, that's where that's where courage lies when we're when we're mobilized, but we still, you know, we have to face something that's challenging, uh, but we're not triggered into being frozen or um, over responding or, or, or in, in a way that's distorted. So I, I take a look at that in all four of those areas I mentioned. So in terms of mindsets, recognizing what does fight and flight look like in a mindset? Well, it's the it's, that's our protective response in all the distortion, learning about how our brain distorts things in order to keep us safe when we're threatened. But recognizing when we're applying that distorted thinking to situations that it's no longer helping us, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not being threatened right now um, and it's keeping us from being a critical thinker. Or on the other end of that continuum is denial or dissociation. You know, when is when are we triggered into to just sort of blocking it out and not thinking? And how do we keep ourselves regulated? So resiliency comes in the practices, whether they be cognitive practices or you know the, the regulation practices, as well as the things that we practice over time that builds our skill set so that we broaden that, that middle band where we can stay regulated both emotionally, cognitively, and within our interpersonal relationships. Um, and we're not being driven by those protective survival responses. I really love that. And I think that, that um, the fight or flight response, our survival response, it's, it's baked into us, right? It's, a, it's just part of our hard wiring. Mm-hmm. And so we need to learn how we can, um, how we can get past the survival response um, in, in terms of taking care of ourselves and uh, our relationships with others. I, I think that's all super important. And I, I again, I, I love the word resilience. I love the idea that, you know, we can choose how we're going to respond to challenges that we face. Um, We all come from different backgrounds. We have different stuff that we have to deal with. We have different levels of privilege or lack thereof. Um, You know, I'm a middle-aged white dude. I say that a lot on this podcast. I'm straight. Like I have a lot of privilege, um, but that doesn't mean I don't have challenges, that I don't have hardships, that I don't have emotional trauma. Um, I do just like everybody else, but mine looks different. Uh, than others. And I don't have to face some of the same systemic challenges that others have Mm -hmm. to face. Right. Um, But I can recognize that I can then learn how I can respond to the types of unique situations I face. And then I can learn how I can better support others who might face different challenges 
um, and so that we can all collectively have a more, you know, more of a resilience mindset and, and be more proactive about how we respond to those, those difficult things in our lives. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, it's the wonderful thing. The thing I like the most about, uh, the work I'm doing, it, it's not about pathology. It's about being human. Um, so, and every, we all get triggered every one of us. And, and yes, our, our, you are correct in our past experiences certainly shape how we respond. Um, you know, I, I believe the experiences of our, our parents and grandparents shape how, how we respond. But each, each interaction that we face, uh, we have an opportunity to respond differently and to, to learn and grow from that, but but part of learning and growing is also being able to um, acknowledge that you're human and accept that that you are going to make mistakes, yeah. and that and and kind of be able to get past the emotions that come around that come with that too, um, yeah. so that we can fix the you know we can heal we can focus on healing and and restoration as opposed to um, guilt and. Yeah. And things that are unhelpful. Unhelp yep. Perfect. Well, Michelle, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today. The time has flown by. Uh, we're about to the end of our time. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about uh, your work, your team, and then uh, give us a final word on the topic for today. Okay. Um, well, uh, I have a website called resiliency or it's resiliencyonline.com. Um, that's a good way to uh, to connect with me. I also cultivating human resiliency has a Facebook page and a YouTube account. And so, if if you Google cultivating human resiliency, um, you can find me there. And also, my book is available on Amazon.com, and it is the Compassion Fatigued Organization: Restoring Compassion to Helping Professionals. And that's available if, if you want to look for that. And, and also you can, if you go to my website or Facebook page or any of the other social media accounts, um, you'll, you'll be able to find more information also about my book. And uh, I also, you know, what I really, my, my big work, I, I'm more than just an author. I, I work with organizations and I, I love working with leaders. I, I provide trainings online, as well as, you know, before the pandemic, I did workshops in person, and hopefully someday we'll get back to those. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm available to help organizations also um, in this or anything, compassion fatigue or anything that has to do with resiliency, being trauma-informed. The brain is one of my favorite topics to talk about. And I, I am not a neuroscientist, but I like to um, find practical ways to apply the res research um, to the work that we do. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, thank you, Michelle. It has really been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, to find out more about what you can do for them. Check out your book, check out your uh, service offerings. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.
we are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.